So it was last week that we started this new series for the summer, uh, One Another, or Blank One Another. And we kind of talked about how we know how we want to fill in that word, we know how we should fill in that word, but how oftentimes we struggle to actually fill it in, or to fill it in well. We know that we want to fill it with love one another, and serve one another, and be kind to one another. But then how we often, how it plays out, it's, it's often compare with one another, and envy one another, and, and put down one another. And last week as I was preparing what to, think, what to talk about for this week, and I was, I was praying, and I, I was talking to Eugene a bit, and we were bouncing ideas off each other, God put on my heart this word that I've struggled with this week. And where I've struggled is I often think that it's a pastor's thing, like, okay, when I have to give a talk, then I'm going to have to be faced with those circumstances. I'm going to have to deal with some of those things just to give me good sermon illustrations. But I actually think it's a bit different than that. I actually think that what it does is as I'm studying the Word, and it's not just a pastor thing, as we're all digging into the Word and understanding who God is, it's opening our eyes to who He's calling us to be. And how to step into this new way of life, this new way of living. So this word that God put on my heart for this week is forgive one another. And I'm scared to death to share it. I'm scared to death that it's going online. Because I haven't had to deal with a lot of hurt. Sure, there's there's hurts that are just inevitable in life. There's hurts from spouses, from kids, from parents, from Uh, friends and co-workers, but then there's hurts that I've had the opportunity of journeying alongside where these youth show up with scars in their arm because they've been cutting themselves just wanting to know that life's real and walking alongside girls who are too afraid to tell their mom that they might be expecting And women who've been raped, and some who go through with abortions, and some who keep the child, but have had to work through this process of forgiving. That's why I'm scared, because I don't understand it all, so I'm coming here to just say that I don't. And each of us are sitting in a place with different wounds, different scars, different experiences. And I just want to say, I respect where you are, what you're wrestling with, what you're facing. And I present this information to you humbly, saying I don't know what that must be like. But I believe in a God who does and has compassion on us. And who forgives us for our unwise decisions. So I want to start tonight just with the verse. I'm looking at the book of Ephesians, which is written by Paul. And, and he's writing it to the, this church in Ephesus. And it's this, this section in chapter 4. And I'm only going to be looking at verse 32. But the verses 17 to 32, the context of it is he, he's encouraging them in this new way of life, this new way of living and, and moving forward and, and understanding that in, the light of what, in light of what Christ has done. 
So verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And I think it's so easy to read that verse and just gloss over it. Okay, be kind, be compassionate, forgive one another, Christ forgave us, check, move on. But when we actually sit with it and we sit with the weight of that, what does that look like to actually live into this life and this way of living that's constantly forgiving? So I want to start by looking at what forgiveness is not. Because I think we have a bit of an idea of what forgiveness is, or at least we, we have some ideas and notions of what it is. The first one that I, I kind of want to break is this whole if I forgive and forget. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. This one rocked me when I was reading a book on actual marital intimacy and, and forgiveness within a marriage relationship. And the author presented the question and said, do you think that Jesus forgets the cross? Absolutely not. But are we forgiven? Absolutely. Because you see, I always grew up with this idea that it's you forgive and you forget. You don't hold it against the person anymore. But we need to break out of that. And the, my main bottom line, which is driving this whole message tonight, is that forgiveness doesn't always equal forget. It doesn't always mean to forget. But what it means is to be set free from captivity. So forgiveness does not mean that we have to forget. And in fact, sometimes it's best that we don't forget, that we have this memory of it, because there are toxic people, there are toxic relationships that we need to put up boundaries around, that we need to keep our distance from. But that doesn't mean we can't forgive them. Forgiveness is also not about being nice. It's not niceness. It's not being a doormat to be walked over again and again and again. And I think it ties into this idea that forgiveness does not mean it's okay. I was reminded of this when I met with Alex yesterday. We were out for coffee, and, and she says she catches her students in school all the time saying this, because one student will hurt another and say, oh, I'm sorry, man. And the next student says, oh, it's okay. And she's like, no, it's not okay. And I'm so guilty of this. I say that all the time. This is how my family deals with things too. We, it's okay, it's okay. But what happens is it's not okay. The hurt and the damage that's caused and it's swept under the rug until you can't walk on the rug anymore because it's so huge or it bottles up in my case and I keep it suppressed until finally it comes out over the most idiotic reason. And I'm sure even in marital relationships, You've experienced that when you're like, what did we even fight about? Like over an iPad, over a phone, over a fill in the blank? So it, it's not about niceness. It's not about being a doormat. It doesn't mean it's okay. And the other thing is that forgiveness or withholding forgiveness doesn't combat evil. It actually feeds it. Because you see, let's start shifting into what forgiveness is. Because if forgiveness isn't forgetting, if forgiveness isn't niceness and being a doormat to be walked over, then what is forgiveness? Well, essentially, like I said, forgiveness doesn't always mean forgetfulness or forget, but it means to be set free from captivity. 
an author and a pastor of House for All Sinners and Saints down in Denver, Colorado. Her name's Nadia Boltz-Weber, and, and uh, she says, she just speaks about forgiveness, as, or at least being hurt as being this chain that connects you. That when someone hurts you, or if you hurt another, you have this heavy chain that's connecting you. And what she says is forgiveness is refusing to be connected to this any longer. It's by taking out the bolt cutters and cutting it free. It's about living this life of freedom and stepping into this new way of living. So essentially, it's a release. And the words that, it has these two Greek words coming together for forgive, and it's to send away. Those are the two words that come together. And so it's, it's in Nadia's illustration, it's cutting, cutting the chain that's holding you connected to this person, and it's releasing them so that you can be free. But it's also this idea of sending whatever is blocking you away so that you can restore this right relationship. I was explaining this to my, my wife, and, and she said, she's like, I'm kind of picturing a balloon that if I did something to... To harm her or if she did something to, to hurt me. It's like we have this balloon in between us and it's blocking this flow, this relational flow. And it's kind of in our way from actually connecting and getting to the real stuff. But she says forgiveness, it's kind of like as we send it away, it's like letting go of this balloon to let it float off. And it doesn't mean that it's gone. It doesn't mean that we forget about it, but we send it away in order to restore the right relationship between us. And that's what Paul's getting at in this verse is that when he's saying be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, it's an action, it's active. And it's about stepping into this new way of living that's not natural. You see, even, I, I think of Jesus as, as he knows that he's, he's getting closer to the time of his death when he's killed on a cross and he's sweating blood. And then he's hanging upon this cross, and he's yelling, he yells out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, he's sending away this, this block that's between us. Because you see, at the beginning of Scripture, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, and it's good. God creates humanity and, and our humanness, and he says it's very good. He creates us in the, the image of God, and, and sometimes we forget to start in those first two chapters, and we jump right to the fall and to the sin and the disruption of the peace and harmony and shalom that God intended for the world. But God says, no, I, I love you too much to leave you there. Once sin enters in and he says, I'm sending my son and his son's hanging on the cross saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a choice that he's making to set us free. All of the gospels declare this, declare this freedom that Jesus brings. That it's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that we've earned. In fact, it's in spite of everything we've done. That he's choosing to love us, as we talked about last week, but then he chooses to forgive us and to set us free, to send away this obstacle that's keeping us between us and our Heavenly Father.
C.S. Lewis makes the comment that everyone likes the idea of forgiveness. We all think it's a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. And that's the truth. We can sit here and say, yes, forgiveness, it sounds great. I'd love to be forgiven. I'd love to be able to extend it. But as soon as we've been wronged, it's so much harder. And Henry Nouwen, he defines forgiveness as love practiced among people who love poorly. I love that definition because it means that we're going to do it again. It's going to happen time and time again that we're going to hurt people. We're going to be hurt by people. But it takes practice. It's like a muscle that has to be flexed and worked out. It, it is unnatural. But it's a decision that we need to make that's momentary, but it's also a process. Matthew 18, Peter asks Jesus, how many times do I forget or do I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. And I used to always think that it was like I could then calculate what that would be and then hold that against my brother and be like, okay, check, check. You're getting close. I'm almost done forgiving you. But also, I think what it's been showing me this week is that 70 times 7, it, Jesus is using this number to say an infinite amount, an insurmountable amount. You keep forgiving. And it might not always be for separate offenses. It might be the same offense that we have to keep giving back to God over and over and over. Because you see, there have been some hurts in my life that I like to hang on to for security. I like to hang on to them to kind of guard myself and say, okay, well, if I don't forgive that person, if I kind of hold on to this, then actually I can use this as a defense mechanism. I can shield myself so it won't happen to me again. I can stand up for myself. I have this protective layer. But you know what? When we refuse to let go, when we refuse to release and forgive, and to send it away, we sometimes feed into the systemic evil. We can actually sometimes become so jaded and so guarded and so defensive that we actually become the people who hurt us in the first place. Holding on to it doesn't combat evil. It, it feeds it. And as we continue to hurt one another, as we continue to be hurt, we have these chains and we carry them around and it affects the space in, around us. And I think that's what Paul's driving at here is when he's saying these one another statements. He, he's speaking to the church. He's saying Christianity isn't just this relationship between you and God. As much as it is, it's also this communal journey that we're on together. And we have to keep right relationship between, between us and God and between us and others. And we need to show the world this new way of living, this new way of stepping into, releasing people from hurts that they've caused, hurts that they've done to us. So how do we forgive? I think the first step toward forgiveness is naming the hurt. And this is a weird one for me because I don't like going into my emotions I think I've shared this before. On the Enneagram, I'm a type seven, I'm an enthusiast, so I like to look at the positive and have fun. And negative emotions are like, whoa, let's not go there. 
But if we don't name the hurt, then how can we send it away? How can we release it? And I think sometimes even in, in the, the church culture sometimes, we put on this facade that everything's perfect, that I'm doing great, and we, we kind of try harder. Or at least we let people know that we're, we're doing well. Things are going pretty good. And we're afraid to actually share in the brokenness of our lives because we feel like, well, now we're Christians, we're saved, everything's got to be good. But that isn't what church is. That isn't what it, our, our Christian faith is. Our Christian faith is that, yeah, we are broken. We are messed up. We keep doing it time and time again. But it's through Christ that he forgives us. He heals us. He transforms us. This is the question that I have around a lot of this. Is like, when did the message of Jesus, who came to heal us, who came to free us, who came to transform us and bless us and teach us how to be more generous, how to be more compassionate and forgiving and less judgmental. How did it turn into anything less than a clear and compelling message of God's desire for us to flourish in his good world? The Bible isn't about just what not to do and what we should do. and It's not just a rule book. The Bible teaches us who God is and what God's like. And I think in the act of forgiveness, as we step into it and we begin pr practicing forgiveness, something divine happens in that moment. Because all of a sudden, we step into this unnatural way of being. And we're able to show others what God is like. We're able to show others who God is. So we need to first name the hurt. And then we need to decide to forgive it. We need to decide to release it, to let it go. And like I said, this isn't a one-stop shop. This isn't a one-time thing. It might be a process. It might be where you're asking for forgiveness at one point, and then the next day you're asking for forgiveness for the same thing. Or perhaps you're releasing someone you, you are forgiving them, but it's just so hard, and you have to keep going back to God and crying out, saying, God, I need your help. So when I was kind of sharing some of these thoughts with Amanda, she then asked the question, how do I know if I've been forgiven? Or how do I know if I've forgiven someone else? And as I thought about that, the answer that came to me is, are you released? Are you free? Because you see, free people, Nadia talks about this in this forgiveness video, is free people are dangerous people. Because we can stand up to injustice. We can call out stupidity. We can be light in the darkness. And a darkness that won't overcome us. Because you see, free people don't have to worry about what others are thinking, what others are doing. Free people don't have strings that other people can pull to manipulate them and coerce them. Free people can stand in the light of the truth and proclaim what is true. And they can do it in kindness. They can do it with compassion and love and forgiveness. Guys, forgiveness, it's a tough one. 
This past June, about a month ago, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this story, but I guess I am. About a month ago, it was a general assembly and uh, for our Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. And we went off to Calgary, and the last day of the assembly was a healing service. And I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me, because I am a skeptic. And actually, when I joined the Alliance... That was probably one of my biggest issues that I had, was that there was an emphasis on Jesus as healer, which I agree with, I believe, but I've, I sometimes wrestle with that there's so much emphasis on healing that we forget how to walk alongside people who are suffering and who are hurting. So I really pushed back, said, we need to focus on our theology of suffering and walk alongside people. And I pushed back the lead pastor of Gateway, who's sponsoring us, and I said, let's wrestle through this one. So then we're sitting at assembly, and I go into the service, and I see, know that it's a healing service, and I sit in the far, far back of this massive church where there's barely any lights on, and I'm listening to this guy talk, and I'm thinking, no, I can rip that apart. No, don't agree with that. No. And I, I'm having a really hard time. But then at the end, he says, if you need healing, I want you to stand up. And something in me the Holy Spirit was convicting me that I needed essentially to test him. Because again, I was a skeptic. I still am a skeptic. And anyways, I decide to stand up. And I'm thinking, I don't have anything really to be healed for. And God kind of reminds me that I'm dealing with this problem of esophagitis. And I'd been taking medication daily for probably six or seven years now. And I stand up, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. Let's see if God actually comes through on this. And then he kind of looks around, and he says, there's people standing in the back that I can't see because the lights aren't on. Can you step into the aisles? I'm like, ah. So then I walk down the stairs and get to the aisle where there's light. And wouldn't you know, the lead pastor, Steve, and his wife, Krista, are sitting right there, the guy that I pushed back on this whole thing. And I'm standing there, and and they come around, and they're like, we want to pray for you. Like, what is it that you need? And I said, I'm battling with esophagitis. And I admit it. I'm like, I'm a little embarrassed that you're the guy I really gave a hard time to about this. And uh, now you're praying for my healing. And he's like, don't worry about it. Like, let's just do this. So them and another couple join, and they're praying for me. And at first, nothing's happening. And I'm thinking, whatever. It's all right. Like, I'll go home. I'll stay skeptical. But then this other man who's there praying for us stops, and he says, do you need to forgive anyone? And at that moment, three people came to my head just instantly, and I just started bawling. And um, I keep saying that I don't cry often other than when the Spirit fills me, but I need to stop saying that because I'm starting to cry more and more. And I just started bawling, and I, I'm blubbering in my hands, and I'm saying, Amanda hasn't seen me cry like this in years, maybe once in total, and, and they're like, it's okay. And, and I shared who it was I needed to, to send this issue away, that I needed to, to ask God to forgive me from, for the resentment and the, the, the anger that I had toward these people. 
Well, I'll let you know that that day and that morning, I woke up and I took my pill for esophagitis. And after they prayed for me, I haven't taken it still to this day. I'm still a skeptic. I'm still waiting for it to come back one day. As soon as I get a bit of heartburn, I'm like, oh, here it is. But what I also realized was my esophagitis actually began during the time that this one person and myself really began to have conflict. And I began resenting this person, and I began building up my defenses. And it was actually while I was at work one day and eating a butter chicken dinner (laughs) that I had it lodged in my throat. And I went to the ER, and they had to knock me out and shove a scope through me to knock out the blockage. And that's when this esophagitis issue began. And guys, I don't mean to get all charismatic. (laughs) But I believe we are created as emotional beings. There is a holistic sense to us. And I can actually tie the moment when my esophagitis began and this unforgiving heart to when I finally said, God, release me from it. And I haven't been battling this since. I don't think that this is prescriptive, something that's going to apply to everyone, but it definitely describes my situation. God calls us into this new way of living, into this new life, to forgive, to let go. And it doesn't mean that I still don't have hurts and scars and wounds from this past relationship. And it doesn't mean that I'm not crying out for God to help me to continue to live this path of forgiveness, even with the same people. But I'm trying to step into this new way, this life that God calls us to, to be kind, to be compassionate, and to, to be forgiving of one another as Christ has forgiven us. So I have some discussion questions as we we move into our table discussion. And I want you to know tonight that we're just merely scratching the surface of forgiveness. That you might be sitting on things that are just so personal that you, you just can't share. That's okay. Don't feel like you have to share. These questions that I'm going to put up on the screen in a minute, they are rather personal because I feel like we need to do business tonight. I feel like we need to do business with one another. In, in the book of James, he kind of talks about conf- confessing our sins to one another. And, and again, all I, I'll ask is share as much as you want to, share as little as you want to, share nothing at all. Um, but whatever's discussed around your tables, let's keep it around those tables. And save some time to pray for one another. If you're having a tough time where you just, there's something you need to forgive, you need to let go, ask for prayer. If there's, if there's something that has been done to you, if there's something you've done to one another, ask for that forgiveness. Because the beautiful thing about this 
is Henry Nouwen's definition of forgiveness as learning to love people who love poorly. It's an ongoing journey, but we need to practice this with one another so that we can show the world the power and the transformation of Jesus Christ in our lives. So Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much just for the people here and what you're doing in our midst. And God, as you call us to a life of forgiving one another, I pray that we can step into this new way of living and that we can show the world that there is hope, that there is love, that there is joy. Because God, our world is desperate for it. We like to hold on to these things for revenge. We like to hold on to these things in order to, to get back or to feel like we're staying safe. But God, I pray that you help us release these things tonight. God, for, forgiveness isn't about forgetting, but it's about being released from this sense of captivity. God, release us tonight. In the power of your name, Jesus, amen.